Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining us are two leading attorneys with the Florida-based firm of Adorno and Yoss. On the phones, we have litigation specialists Gregory Victor and Joe Mealy. Greg Victor is the national chairman of the firm's Torton Insurance Department. He is a member of Defense Research Institute and well-versed in insurance matters. Joe Mealy specializes in a main topic of today's discussion, insurance coverage. Also joining us is Ray Lehman, AM Best's Washington, D.C. Bureau Manager. Ray recently reported on the Anti-Concurrent Cause Clause. That clause, which we'll define in a minute, is at the heart of recent cases involving State Farm and the effects of Hurricane Katrina. The clause was designed to protect an insurance company against massive claims, but a judge has ruled that State Farm's language in this clause was ambiguous. This led to a landmark decision against the insurance company. Damages in the case of Broussard versus State Farm were recently cut from $2.1 to $1 million, but this still remains a controversial topic. Today we're focusing on the anti-concurrent cause clause, the implications of decisions in Mississippi and Louisiana, and how this possibly impacts other states, including Florida. Ray, we'll lead you off with our first question. Thanks, John. For Joe, as a policy expert with your firm, could you define for us what the anti-concurrent cause clause is and how the courts have typically interpreted it, particularly in Florida? Sure. That clause is designed to eliminate coverage under the efficient proximate cause theory of coverage and to eliminate coverage where two causes of loss, one that's covered and one that's uncovered, combine or join to cause a single loss. And I'll take a back step now and explain those two theories so we can understand how that works. Now, under the efficient cause theory of coverage, if a covered cause of loss produces a non-covered cause of loss that actually results in the damage, the resulting damage is covered. But in that situation, the perils have to be dependent, meaning one has to set the other in motion. Now, under the concurrent cause theory of coverage, coverage for an excluded cause of loss will only lie when it happens at the same time as a covered cause of loss. And in that case, each of the causes must be independent and unrelated. Now, what happens with the typical hurricane scenario and the uh, Katrina issue is that it was claimed that the water that actually damaged these houses was a storm surge. A storm surge is a surge caused by wind pushing on the surface water. So the argument was made that because wind is a covered peril and flood is an excluded peril, that because wind is covered, there would be coverage in any event. Now, what a number of carriers have done has included in their insurance policies language that's intended to eliminate those two scenarios of coverage. And the typical policy would contain language similar to that in the Tupker decision and even some broader language that typically states something like, we do not insure for loss caused directly or indirectly by any of the following. Such loss is excluded regardless of any other cause or event contributing concurrently or in any sequence to the loss. Now, to date in Florida, the United States District Court for the Middle District of Florida has found that clause to be unambiguous and enforceable. And in that respect, the Florida courts to date anyway have differed from the uh, rulings coming out of Mississippi. Now, I'll just follow up with you also, Joe. Are other insurance companies' language similar to State Farm regarding this? There's similar language and there's different language, but they're all intended to accomplish the same objective. The language that I just quoted is somewhat more streamlined than that State Farm has been using. But in the Tupker case, the judge found that it was ambiguous because he couldn't comprehend how coverage that's being provided from wind can be somehow taken away by this anti-concurrent cause language. And that's how the issue arose in the Tupker decision and is contrary to that uh, as it presently exists in Florida. I see. 
I'm going to follow up now with you, Greg. It's been stated that insurance companies are going to be scrambling now to rewrite the anti-concurrent cause clause in their policies. Is it rare for policies to be revised after a landmark decision such as this? Well, policies are often revised after disasters, which sometimes expose ambiguities in policies and things that need to be changed. Not only insurance companies are impacted, but a lot of other industries, such as building industries and so forth. So as far as post-disaster, it's not unusual for insurance policies to be changed or efforts to change it, actually, because the Department of Financial Services in the state of Florida still has to approve changes because it's a heavily regulated industry. Post-Andrew was a classic example of lots of changes made. It's a lot more unusual for policy changes to be made merely after an appellate court's decision, certainly in other states as well. In the the individual state, if that's the court of ultimate conclusion, no, it wouldn't be unusual because they certainly have to adapt to what the new laws are in that state. But for other states to follow suit, it's pretty unusual unless the decision in that court exposes a very significant flaw in a particular policy or an ambiguity where there is a concern that other states may adopt it. Joe, you mentioned the Tupker opinion where Judge Center declared that State Farm's anti-concurrent cause clause was ambiguous. What sort of effect does that ruling have on the burden of proof that it now faces in these Mississippi cases? Well, it doesn't really affect the burden of proof because once there's a determination of ambiguity, the policy has to be construed in favor of coverage and in favor of the insured. So it pretty much, you know, it pretty much eliminates the burden of proof on that issue because it automatically gets construed in favor of the insured. Now, typically, if an insurer is going to rely upon an exclusion or to show that the cause of loss was an excluded cause of loss, the burden of proof is going to be on it to show that. Now, the one example from the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida was a case called Pellucci, P-A-U-L-U-C-C-I versus Liberty Mutual. And that case dealt with a concurrent cause issue, but it's, it's worthy of some discussion here. The issue was we had an old house or an old garage, actually, that apparently hadn't been maintained, was subject to dry rot, wear, tear, deterioration, and a whole bunch of other excluded causes of loss. Along comes Tropical Storm Gordon, and some combination of either wind or rain ultimately brought the garage down. So the insurance company, of course, argued that the, uh, it was a concurrent cause of loss, meaning that the wind and the rain combined with the lack of maintenance, the dry rot, and the other things that resulted in the cause of loss, meaning the collapse, and therefore the coverage was barred. And in that case, the court found that there were issues of fact uh, summary judgment was inappropriate, but it did squarely hold that the burden of showing the excluded cause of loss, meaning dry rot, wear, tear, and maintenance, was at least a portion of the cause rested on the uh, insurer. Greg, I'll throw this question over to you. There have been recent articles about Florida's overall concern with the rising insurance rates of the 10 most expensive disasters in U.S. history. Six were hurricanes that struck in Florida in 2004 and 2005. Will these major decisions and rulings now in Louisiana also have a further detrimental impact on Florida, in your opinion? Uh, There certainly is the possibility of a ripple effect. You know, Florida is a similarly situated state in terms of zone of risk for hurricane damage. In fact, my opinion is Florida is even at, at greater risk because we can catch them on both from all bodies of water. But if there's no law on the subject in Florida, you know, something coming out of Mississippi or Louisiana that impacts interpretation of policies for purposes of hurricanes, Absolutely. It can have a significant effect because the courts will often look to decisions from other states on similar issues if the body of law hasn't already been developed in the state of Florida. 
decisions made by insurance companies as to whether to provide insurance following a certain disaster can also have a ripple effect in Florida and negatively impact Florida because, again, Florida will be viewed as uh, at least equal, if not a higher risk, by some of the carriers and their actions in those states, whether it be just following a disaster or following a decision in the courts, certainly can impact Florida negatively. And the state legislature there in Florida just completed you know, some major changes to how homeowners insurance can be treated. Do you have an, uh, sort of an outlook for the future, Greg, on how homeowners issues are going to be treated in Florida? This is very much still in development. There are so many things that need to be done to really fix this. Uh, there's a lot of nervousness at the governmental level, at the insurance level, at the consumer level. A lot of people and businesses are choosing to self-insure because the cost of insurance or the access to different types of insurance, such as business interruption and so forth, is either prohibitive or not even being offered. The citizens' policies, which is the state-backed policy, are going to be skyrocketing, and there's an effort by the legislature and the governor in recent legislation to limit that and limit private insurance. The real question is going to be, how long can they do it, and can the state afford it? You know, they're hoping to be able to purchase cheaper reinsurance. They're hoping to be able to keep insurance companies from leaving the state of Florida by either offering inducements or basically telling them, as I understand one of the proposals, that they can't sell auto insurance here if they don't sell homeowners insurance. There have been a lot of predictions by some of the uh, hurricane prediction experts that the next 10 years uh, are going to be horrible in terms of storms, which has made a lot of people nervous. If those predictions are correct, I don't believe that the decisions or changes enacted by the legislature are contemplated are going to be enough. What Florida really needs is a whole bunch of luck and some calm seasons, and then I think things will stabilize. But in 2006, we were fortunate. 2005, we weren't. 2004, we weren't. So the real question is going to be, what level of hurricane activity are we going to have? And I think notwithstanding the efforts being made, that's really going to drive whether the disaster is really taken care of or whether it gets worse. But there's tremendous uncertainty, both in terms of what the legislature can accomplish, what the market can accomplish, the economics of the situation, and really the acts of God that nobody can control. And uh, this is Joe, I'd just like to also throw in that there one other fallout may be actually to increase the costs of uh, houses to the Florida public. One of the issues that's come up is that after Hurricane Andrew, uh, at least Dade County and Broward and a couple of the other counties substantially upgraded their building codes to make the uh, houses far more hurricane resistant. But unfortunately, that building code upgrade wasn't made uniform throughout the state. So one of the things that legislators are looking into now is to actually make the uh, building code uniform to those levels. But obviously, that's going to then just significantly increase the cost of housing to the Florida residents. Yeah, they're saying retirees are really concerned down there now. Sure. Everybody's concerned. And in 2005, if I recall the date correctly, when we had Ivan and Jean and Francis and, and another one, we had, if I recall, four hurricanes hit all over the state. Normally, you know, the concerns are going to be up in the Panhandle area and generally, you know, southeast or southwest Florida. You know, the other coastal areas of concern, but not as much. And what 2005 showed us with those hurricanes is it just blanketed the state. So everybody is, is really impacted. Well, best of luck down there. It bears close monitoring. And thank certainly you. We hope for the best down there. And we certainly appreciate your taking the time to join us today. Our pleasure. Yeah, Greg and Joe, thanks so much. And Ray, thank you as well. Thank you. And now this word. 
BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. Thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit www.ambest.com slash podcasts or go to the online directories such as iTunes or Google and Yahoo's podcast directories. I'm John Zuba with Ray Lehman and our guests Greg Victor and Joe Mealy. And special thanks to our podcast engineer and editor Brian Cohen.